Hello, welcome to Supernatural Stories. I'm your host, Cal Goodbaum. In the first 10 episodes, I've shared true stories of the supernatural from across Canada. For episode 11, I've put together a special show where all the stories you'll be hearing come from just one person, Bernard, continuing in episode 12. Hope you enjoy his incredible stories wherever you're listening from. When I started to come up with the idea to produce this show earlier this year, one of the first people I told the idea to was, of course, my mother. And of course, one of the first people she told was her hairdresser, Bernard. I grew up down the street from Bernard, and I've even gotten one of my rare haircuts from him. While he's telling his stories, you can picture a guy who looks a bit like a Mexican version of Jeff Goldblum. In this episode, he'll tell stories about his life growing up in Tucson, Arizona, and next episode, he'll share some of the tales of his life upon moving to Toronto. So my name is Bernard Teus. I was born in 1947 in Tucson, Arizona, also known by the local tribes as the Valley of the Sorcerers. Tucson is situated 13 feet below sea level and um, full of witches and warlocks, basically. <laughs> That's how I was raised. All of us were bedwetters because of things we saw at night. We did not want to go along the hallway to go to the bathroom because we did see some very dark entities. And there was a closet on the left, which as a boy, I always jumped out and scared my sisters. But at night, I always had the feeling that someone was going to jump out me. Every night I saw a figure in the doorway that just sort of moved. I put the sheets over my head. It just went on. But what was really strange about this house was, I don't know if you know about the children's game called Metal Jacks. It was played by children. It's also played in China too, where you take these metal jacks and you throw them, scatter them, and then you bounce a ball and before the ball bounces twice, you grab the jacks and you have to pick up the ball in the same hand. We heard that noise all night. We had linoleum floors. So we heard this ching, bounce. Every night. I was raised as most Mexican American kids were raised by grandmothers. My mother's mom died when she was two years old, so my mom was basically an orphan and was raised by this great aunt. Her name was Agripina. She lived in the middle house, so we had a big property. My uncle and my grandfather lived at the front. Agripina was in the middle, and 50 feet away was our house. She'd take care of me, she taught me card tricks, etc., etc. I would go to her in the morning and I would just wake her up. She would sometimes be smoking a cigarette and ash would be very, very long. And the morning that I actually discovered her, I was yelling out her name. She wasn't rousing. She had died and the cigarette ash was really long. So I called my mom. I guess I was around five, maybe six years old. Prior to that, she was sick, but she was still moving around. And my dad set up a cord from our house to her house with a buzzer so that whenever she had a problem, you know, my mom would run over there. After she died and we had the funeral, all of us were in bed one night and the buzzer rang. So my dad thought it was just an anomaly of some sort. He said, don't, don't worry about it, I'll fix it tomorrow. And so he forgot about it. The next night it rang again, right? So my dad said, okay, I'm gonna go over there and turn off the power. So he turned off the power in her little house and it rang again. 
My dad got up and yanked the cord, <laughs> threw it away. So something going on. Nobody wanted to talk about it. Nobody wanted to talk about it because it was kind of weird, you know, the buzzer rang. My aunt in her house had seven ghosts that she talked to me about. Talked about it in a matter-of-fact way. She named one of them Red because it was a cowboy. Maybe he was killed in the Southwest. He would stick his head from a wall and smile at her. Her daughter, my cousin Mary, had a husband named Chuck who was from Oklahoma. He just didn't believe anything, right? He was thinking they were all crazy. He was a, a real philanderer. Literally, that's what he did. One night, apparently, he came home. When nobody was home, and who was in the living room but the horned one, about eight foot tall, I think his pants. He was sitting in the living room there, and everybody came home, and he said, I saw him, I, I believe you, I'm... I'm leaving for Oklahoma, got in his car, and drove all night back to Oklahoma, where he was from. Next day, he started taking classes in Catholicism. He became a very devout Catholic. He saw the light, right? To this day, that house is there, and there's foil on all the windows. No one ever goes near that house. I think the real estate agents just probably don't even push it. My cousin Mary had, uh, in that house, had a hysterectomy. And my aunt came back with groceries, and my, my cousin Mary was in this robe. And my Nina was talking to her, and apparently she turned and went, mm. My Nina was thinking she was just in pain. My Nina walks into the bedroom, and there was Mary. There were two of them in the house. It had shifted into two of them there. A doppelganger. A doppelganger. doppelganger. My Nina says, oh, no, what she said, said, get in here, it's out there, it's like it's there in the sofa. And they just waited in the bedroom till the damn thing just sort of disappeared. Really, really creepy. South Tucson, South Tucson is a town within a city. People that would come in from other parts of town, racist pricks, right? they would follow you home after school, throw rocks at you. And the cops in South Tucson would pull these guys over and say, you ever come in this part of town again? We're going to arrest you and stuff. So they were there to protect us, right? So I lived next door to a station. There was a bar across the street from where we lived called the Hula Hut. And everybody went to the Hula Hut. My dad would go in there and stuff. One night, about 9, 30, 10 o'clock, the damn thing was on fire. And my cousin Mary, who happened to have been over, said, let's go over there and watch it burn. It must have been a deal with somebody because the fire engines were right there next door, right? And they just didn't bother, right? So... We wanted the place to burn down, right, for insurance or something. So, and the hula hut was full of sort of shrubs and... Oh, yeah, it, lots of flammable. Crap. Yeah, flammable stuff. It was all flammable. Turned around to go back to the house, and I see my mom coming out of the back. She came out with her basket, and she was hanging clothes on the clothesline, which is what she did at night, you know, because it was too hot during the day. Me and my cousin saw a doppelganger, exactly like my mom dressed, coming out of the front door. The doppelganger came out and walked toward the street and just disappeared, disappeared. Thank you for listening to this special episode of Supernatural Stories. 
If you're enjoying this show or any of the shows, I hope that you'll share it with your friends, family, co-workers, your hairdresser. Bernard dresses my mom's hair, and during a conversation they had, she told him about the show, and he related how he had so many stories of the supernatural, both growing up in Arizona and upon coming to Toronto. The immigrant experience is very much a part of being Canadian, and in covering people's true stories of the supernatural across Canada, I expect we'll run into more of these immigrant stories. Have you too ever seen a doppelganger? Maybe you should get in touch with the show. Go to www.supernaturalstories.ca. It redirects to the Facebook page where you can send a message to get in touch to share your story on a future episode. Now, back to more of Bernard's stories. There was a dry, sometimes riverbed, and it had a tunnel that would go one block over to the other end of the street. So we'd sometimes jump in the water. It was all like muddy water. We'd just jump in. But whenever it rained, we always heard ducks. This was the desert, okay? Mm-hmm. So some of my friends would go to the other side of the opening of the tunnel and then look in and they heard ducks. So then they'd walk in because the tunnel was maybe only about four feet. So you'd have to duck in there, duck in there. You heard the ducks. And there were no ducks. We just kept hearing these ducks. It was just the strangest thing in the world. Next door was my buddy Hector and his brother, Chewy. In order to keep people away, they built a huge fence that was wooden. It was about 12 feet tall. Years later, when I was around 12 years old, Hector and I went to the north part of town. We were going to see these girls that I didn't know that he met. I don't know. He was, I didn't know anything about girls when I was that age. We were there for a long time, you know, trying to grope and talk to these girls. I didn't know how to talk to a girl. So as we were walking along, it was late, so we decided to go and walk along the dry bed of the Santa Cruz River, which everyone is told never, ever walk there at night. Gangs, murderers, you were just told, you know, but also there were spooky things. On the other end of that bridge, you know, just a little north of that, was the entire Last Supper in concrete. Somebody had sculpted this Last Supper because it was... I mean, you could see it today if you wanted. So there we were walking back, and it was dark, real dark. I was called Chachi, as I am called today by friends, right? So on my left, I heard this Chachi. And I look over, and I see, you know, in Spanish, Guinness, you know, who is it? Hector heard this, Hector. He looks over to his right, right? So we're, we're walking, and it's Chachi. getting a little bit louder, okay? We're now really in a gallop all the way back. We hear it all the way home. We're running fast, and now he has to now go through the arroyo because he wanted to follow me along the arroyo rather than go through the front of his house. I've never seen a guy leap 12 feet over a fence that way. He was like way up there, and he went over. I had to go another maybe 40 yards, something like that. Still talking to me. I jumped over our fence and went inside, didn't tell anybody. That night, it was horrifying. It was really horrifying. And my sister, forgot to mention, is a psychic, and she's bothered at night by dead people. So that night, we all, you know, I went to bed, and my sister, Sylvia, wakes up screaming. We all go in there, what's the matter? And she says, look, and something had, had go 
along the bottom of her foot and scraped it red. That night, my dad came home after a really bad poker game. My dad was a, a really good poker player, you know. Never missed a day of work, but he made a lot of money being a poker player. My uncle would say he just has a really good memory for cards. Till he started drinking, you know, you got to keep your head straight. So that night he came home, he said he lost the house. <laughs> it got into a fight. Okay. Goes in the kitchen, starts throwing eggs on the floor, starts pouring coffee on the floor. He's really pissed off. And then he gets into my mother's mother, whom he never met because she was an orphan at two. He starts calling her all kinds of names. My sister Sylvia, you know, said, something's bad's going to happen. I can feel it. She said, you better not do that anymore. You don't talk about the dead like that. He said, I don't care. He went to bed and he starts choking. Like literally, he said, there were hands over his, his neck, his throat, and he couldn't breathe. When I was in high school, on graduation night, my friends and I decided to get into a car, get a bunch of beer at the local liquor store with the local Papago and Navajo Indians would wait outside and you'd give them some money and they'd buy booze for you, right? Because you weren't of age. Got into the car and started drinking. Drinking in the car, that's what we did in those days. Driving all the way west, we went to one of the foothills. We were at about a 500 foot level looking down into another little valley. What we saw were what I thought were little fireflies, but they were all green and they were round and they were large. So I said to the guys, you know, I used to hear from Agripina, if you ever see a green lights at night, that's where the brujos were buried because that's where they get their power. The brujos are warlocks. Just as I said that we were outside the car, okay, looking down. It's not as if somebody threw a rock at the car. We were way up there, but it came straight at the car and made a dent in my car. And a guy was like, you know, Scooby-Doo, whoa! We all got in the car, and I'm driving in this narrow road where there's lots of dips. Arizona has all these dips, you know, they're often flooded. So we were like going down and this way and that way. And um, off to the side, in midair, was a tumbleweed <laughs> following the car in midair. You see tumbleweeds in the desert, but they're usually with wind. The friend Petey, drive faster! I said, I can, we're gonna get killed! That's what it wants to do! It wants to kill us! We got down to the bottom, right? And of course, when you got down to this one area, there was a dip. The car went airborne, yeah. and it landed. We were like, oh, Jesus Christ. I just kept driving north. I didn't know where we were going, we are just gonna go north. I turned on this, this street, and God, we were like, right there in a very lit part of town. And in the middle was a graveyard. It must have directed us there. So there was a little parkette there, and the guys were like laughing, and they were all nervous and stuff, you know. And so as I look out there, I see these figures in hoods, and they're jumping up and down. And as the guys were like laughing and carrying on in a nervous way, um, every time I blinked my eyes, the hooded figures were another maybe 20 feet closer. And I said, guys, 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 turn around, turn around, turn around. They all looked and went, whoa, into the car again and started going toward this road. I was thinking, isn't this a dead-end road here? <laughs> I had to kind of screw this around. I went all the way around and I went back. And the guys were looking at these hooded figures. They were, they were there. I mean, they were after us that night. I mean, we were marked. I went back on, and then I went over to Miracle Mile. We were on a street with lights. Okay, 
I'm driving these guys home, and I'm the last guy in the car as usual, right? Like I was the last guy in the Arroyo when my buddy went over the fence, right? It always seems to happen that way. I went home, and uh, my dad was outside, you know. And uh, I said, uh, I had a thing happen tonight. He says, yeah. He says, that was graduation. I said, it was okay. He says, yeah. I was really nervous at that point. I was like stammering and stuff. I hope you enjoyed the stories in this first half of the episode. Bernard has quite a few more tales coming up next. I'm graduated and I'm going to university, going to the University of Arizona. My buddy Martin, who was with us that night, me and Martin went to university, my high school friends didn't. We got this house. When you see a house that's only a block from the university and you have the girls' dorms right behind you in an alley and the girls are waving to you downstairs, you kind of wonder, why the house is 50 bucks a month? I said, is it haunted? And this Mrs. White said, not that I know of, just like that. I said, it's haunted, I know it's haunted. See how bad it is, right? I had a feeling of it. And so that night I was in the bedroom and he was at the back part of the house. And I kept hearing rattling in the kitchen like there were like dishes and stuff, right? So the next morning uh, I said to him, were you in the kitchen? I heard dishes, but we haven't even unpacked any dishes. We don't have any dishes. He said, yeah, you were standing there in the doorway. I was thinking, you know, I kept talking to you. Why, you know, why are you standing there? And then I went back to sleep. I said, I wasn't standing anywhere. Something was in this. Lonnie, my friend in Tucson, had a girlfriend named Elise who was from Boston. Met her maybe a week, a week before. And she's the one that told her friend Lonnie not to go to the airport because something's going to happen to him. And indeed, it was an accident. He broke his leg. She told us that I'm actually psychic, so can I come in your house? It's an old house. I like old houses. She said, there's a presence here. I think it's benign. At least that's what I can feel. Okay, so I decided to have a party that night with all my friends. Same group that actually was you know, with me that night after graduation. They all came over and I said, guys, guess what? I think there's a ghost in here. They said, all right, you know, they were laughing and carrying on, right? And we were playing blues and we were drinking hard. Bobby, my friend, about three hours later, we were just stinking drunk. He says, hey, as a dude uh, back there by the back door, he said, I dressed like, I'm like Mark Twain, you know, like all white and a mustache and a beard. I said, is the back door open? He says, yeah. I said, well, somebody just walked in, you know. The guys were so drunk, they went out. They said, hey, we're going to go for a walk. So me and Martin were in the house. They came back with the entire altar of a church. Stupid. Said, we thought we'd like set up the altar and give them a name. You know, whoever the ghost is, it's just they set up the candelabras were all lit. And I was like, oh, man, we're really testing this thing. I said, okay, man, uh, nothing happened, okay. Everybody sort of scattered on the floor. They were like just drunk on the floor. And then, you know, and I went to my bed and I just lay down. And then Petey, my friend Petey, lay at the foot of my bed because he just collapsed. So all of a sudden, must have been, I don't know, 3, 3.30 or something like that in the morning. And uh, he yells out my name. And everybody wakes up. And here's this old guy looking like Mark Twain, right, with his hands behind him. He's looking down at me and he's looking at the altar. And he's going, no way. I mean, he's shaking his head. 
the guys were like, they saw him too. They hustled out of there so fast. I said, wrap the stuff in a sheet. I'm taking it back tomorrow. I'm taking all this, the altar. I'm taking the altar. In the morning, we took it and dropped it in front of the church. And that was it, man. That was it. But before that happened, it was already like four or something in the morning. A guy that we knew named Rourke that lived directly across the street used to drive this big panel truck called Late Sunday Dreamers. Okay, LSD. That's what he sold. He sold pot, LSD, psilocybin. Okay. Saw the lights out. He came in. A box of books as if somebody took their foot and threw it. Like kicked it. And it went all the way across the room. We were like, oh, we really got to get out of here. <laughs> we really got to get out of here. Rourke, you know. He said, what's going on? I said, we got a ghost in the house. Yeah, right, guys. Um, you guys like it here? He said, no, we're actually moving out tomorrow. He says, hey, 50 bucks is what you said? I said, yeah, I'll take it. I said, Rourke, you know, like, really? It's a bad thing here. He says, yeah, yeah, I know. I don't worry about it. He, said, he didn't care. I went to bed. Must have been for about two hours. Martin's in his room. I'm in my room. And Martin, by the way, he always wore cowboy boots. He would walk very heavy on a wooden floor. No matter where he walked, it was hard. He just walked really hard. Wore out boots a lot. And so this was a wooden floor. He woke me up because he was walking hard. The sun was already up, 5.30 or 6 in the morning. I said, Martin, Martin, stop walking so hard. Like, it's really loud. Right through the walls, the footsteps came. And this thing was right next to me, and I can feel the presence. I said, Martin! 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 I'm yelling for Martin. The thing is... So I said, you know what? I said, I'm so sorry. I, mean, I, I started to cry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. We shouldn't have done this last night. I, was really, I just want to get to the door. Because the door was, my room was shut, right? And I said, I just want, just want to go to, just want to go to the door. I said, please. That's so I would walk. And he'd go, walk a little bit. He went right next to me. Please don't have the door locked. Please, I'm just going to walk out. going to go on the porch, you know. I had my sheet around me. I was really like freaking out. Open the door. It's like behind me. Unlock the door. It just, and it stopped. Then I went out onto the porch. And who's walking along the street? Martin. Martin didn't sleep there that night. I was by myself all night, right? He said it was making so much noise in my room. He said bed was moving. He said, I, I just I had to leave out the back door. He said, I didn't want to wake you up. I thought you were probably sleeping nicely. He said, you left me alone in there? I said, Jesus, man, let's go. Let's get out of here. I see Rourke a month later, right? I said, hey, man, what's going on? He says, man, I can't sleep. He says, he's really bothering me. You know, are you going to stay? He said, yeah, I'm going to stay. <laughs> I mean, a house a block from the university for 50 bucks. Just before we left, Elise comes by. And she says, you know, I could see your place right from my sixth floor window. So I was feeling something was going on down there. And I looked out the window and looked down at you guys. And guess who's in the middle of the air was this beautiful girl with a baby. I had researched this. She said, there was a doctor that lived in that house. His daughter had a baby. And the speculation was that it was, he was the father. And they died. They died in that house. Mysteriously. And she was right outside in my window, smiling and cooing and touching the baby. And she told us that we were like getting things together to pack. I only felt her benign presence when I came in. I didn't feel him, she said. 
I think he's really bad news. I think nobody should live in this house. Just before I went to university, me and my friend Eddie had met this gentleman at a poetry reading. That's where all the girls were. So we thought we'd go and hang out in poetry reading, right? Mm-hmm. And he was wearing a beret and stuff. He looked pretty cool. He says, uh, you gentlemen think maybe you want to get into uh, something very interesting? I have a mirror that can tell you who you looked like in your past life. Past life. I said, this guy's trying to come on to us. Me and Eddie are together thinking maybe we're gay or something. So he said, well, you know, I just live up the street here. And actually, he lived farther away, but close enough to the university that we went up sort of Park Avenue and there was his house. He says, when you come into my place, he says, you'll see that I have all the icons of all the religions. You know, this altar full of every religion that had ever been, including the sons and daughters of the darkness and sons and daughters of light, right? So he explained that to us. He says, um, you know, I was Rudolph Valentino's double, he says, because I'm a really good horseman. He says, look at me. He says, so show me a picture of him and Rudolph Valentino, a famous silent movie star. I was not impressed. But anyway, he said, you really should be careful. Looked at me, he says, I don't know if you're going to be able to handle this. Do you, do you really want to see the mirror? See, Eddie was a really good artist, and he became an architect in Atlanta now. He would draw Romans in beautiful horses. He was a really good artist, right? Very involved with Rome for some reason, right? So Dick said to me, I'm going to bring out the mirror in a box, which is covered again, and then another box, and it's covered again, and then another cloth, and then another cloth. And I want you to concentrate on your third eye, and then the image will materialize. I got a feeling you're not going to really do this. I said, no, no, I really, I really want one. You have to be in there alone with all these icons and stuff and the candles. Some started to appear. appear. Once you turn away, it'll just disappear, he said. He knew exactly when I turned away. He was in the other room. He knew exactly when I turned away. Came out. He said, I tell you, I don't think you're ready for this, he says. Okay, your turn, Eddie. He's looking in the mirror. And we're in the other room. He says he was uh, a woman in his past life. Past life. Eddie was a woman. A royal in another country. Might have been India, South Asian somewhere. He said, I had a lot of jewelry on, had long hair, and I was a woman. Yeah, he says, but in your past life, you were a Roman warrior. And I went, how does this guy know? And Eddie's been drawing horses and Roman architecture columns. This guy was like, pretty, pretty creepy. Then he said to me, he says, yeah, see, I told you, you, you're not going to, you're not really ready for this stuff. You're kind of bottled up, you know, which is what I want to be, bottled up. So he said, okay, that show that's in uh, Broadway is coming here to the University of Arizona. It's called 1776. I got a couple of tickets. Do you want to see it? I said, yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing a play. He said, are you really going to make it? I said, yeah, yeah. It's on a Sunday. I said, yeah, no, I'll make it. He says, really? Totally forgot about it. He knew. That night, I got violently ill. I've never been that sick before in my life. Every night, he would be at the foot of my bed. Dick Ligara would be there. I thought I was dreaming. I wasn't dreaming. He was there. I turned over, and I felt his presence. I'd look over. It was like him again. Didn't say anything. He would just be looking at me. A week went by. I didn't go to classes. My girlfriend, she says, yeah, yeah, yeah. When I was well, I went to the front door, and I opened the door, and there he is. 
And he says, here, told you I'd get you the Bhagavad Gita and the Tibetan Book of the Dead. He says, read it. Dick, I'm really sorry about not, not showing up. He knew. I got better. So then I said to Eddie, uh, let's go see Dick, you know. We went to his house, and it looked like the house had never been lived in. The yard was kind of trashy. That wasn't the way we had just recently met this guy. It was like another dimension. We opened the gate. It's like dirty. It's like filthy. It's like, it's like nobody lived there. Like it was vacant. I have not mentioned his name uh, since uh, 1967. I was afraid to mention his name because he has some weird, weird power. Thank you for listening to this special episode of Supernatural Stories, which will be continuing in episode 12. And thanks for telling your friends about the show and supporting A Place for the Supernatural. I'm your host, Cal Goodbaum. The music featured in this show was by Blue Dot Sessions with Arizona Moon, Utopia, Ohio with Paradise, Arizona, Snake Oil Salesman with Arizona, The Fucked Up Beat with Mothman Found Alive in Arizona Desert, U.S. Army Blues with Walk That Dog, and Epsilon Knot with Arizona. The rest were tracks I composed. If you want to contribute a buck or more towards the production of the show, you can go to patreon.com slash supernatural stories. The funds can help pay for the sponsored posts and postering campaigns which attract story submissions. If you have a story of your own you contribute, you can do that at supernaturalstories.ca. Till next time.